Enswell Boxing. Come on in. Ireland's Boxing Weekly Podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to listen to any or all of a back catalogue of almost 200 episodes, perhaps you just want to find the links to our YouTube channel or any of our social media platforms, go to www.enswellpod.com on the past, present and future of Irish boxing. You're welcome on in indeed to episode number 196 as we pick through the leftovers, the scraps from Saturday night's mega show in the Saudi desert. As the build-up to the fight grew, at times it seemed almost anybody that had ever laced up a pair of gloves were coming out with an opinion. As always, we'll use this episode to try and sift through what we can and get the most balanced version of all that went down in the dunes, where despite what the scorecards might say, an emphatic result for the unified heavyweight champion of the world, Alexander Usyk. I want to give a big shout-out and a thanks, as always, to our amazing sponsors. Irish Power the best Irish energy drink and as far as I know the only Irish energy drink on the market put a proper pep in your step whether you use it for pre-training or for Monday mornings or to even mix with a drink or two whatever you choose go for Irish power it packs a proper punch and also top pro boxing Irish owned Irish run company Dublin based Mike is the man to go to if you want wraps, if you want boxing gloves, if you want boots, if you want kit, t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever it is you want, Top Pro Boxing are the ones to go to. Exporting kit to over 80 countries worldwide. Whatever it is you need, Top Pro Boxing have it. And what can I say about Violent Gentlemen? The best boxing specific brand in the business. Boxing inspired with a vintage concept. It's the brand that boxers all over Ireland are now starting to seek out and wear. Whether it's leisure wear, whether it's training wear, Violent Gentleman is based in Belfast, the best boxing city in the world, as everybody knows. And if you don't want to believe me, take a look at their website, www.violentgent20.com. Violent inside the ropes, a gentleman outside them. Behave accordingly. I want to let you know about a very special project I'm going to be working on as we build up to the coming Christmas. Most, if not all, of the boxing community in Ireland, and indeed around the North, and indeed in Belfast, will know of Dahi McGowan. Apart from being a huge boxing fan, Dahi is a sports fanatic. He loves all sports, whether it's hurling, football, soccer, and of course boxing, where he can count the likes of Tommy McCarthy, Paddy Barnes, Carl Frampton, Mick Conlon, and many more as his close and good buddies. Dahi has been on the transplant list since shortly after he was born in 2016. As his sixth birthday approaches this October, we Dahi is still on the waiting list and still needs a heart transplant. But to look at him, you would never guess, you'd never know. Never ever in a million years would you look at this little fella and think, or, or, or be aware of anything, to be honest with you. This fun-loving, vibrant, lively little dude, could he could teach us all a thing or two when it comes to the live-laugh-love approach. But you're going to see and hear an awful lot more about that in the coming weeks. So I've asked Dahi and his dad to pick their 
20 favourite fighters around the world and, and to put them in order of preference. Regardless of profile, regardless of how big or where they're situated, my hope and my plan then is to use my connections and reach out to them throughout the boxing community, wherever they may be, and ask, can we use their photo? And ask, can they come on board and help us promote, push and publicise Dahi's battle? Not just his personal battle, but to make it the, to raise the awareness and the importance of organ donation around the world. Of course, raise some funds along the way where possible. And that's again something else that I will be leaning on you, the listener, for your help, whether it's to buy a calendar, whether it's to let me know if there's somebody interested in advertising, whatever the case may be. But all that will come in due course. But right now, from the jump, the only thing I'm going to ask you, the listener, is and I'm going to ask each listener, just take time to click the link below, get across to our Instagram, and anywhere and anytime you see a post involving Dahi and the project, the calendar, I'm asking you to share it, spread the word, let people know about it, get people involved in this as much as we can, and make this little warrior, make his battle known around the world. I had a conversation only Thursday with his dad, Martin, and I can tell you this much, and, and you're going to hear it yourself as we welcome, as, as, as things move along and, and the wheels start moving, but I can tell you that conversation was very sobering. So sobering indeed I had to go for a walk afterwards and just get my thoughts straight, get my head together and more importantly to be thankful and be aware of how lucky most if not all of us are in this world and life. Martin's word were his boy is sick and he can't help him and all I could do was just hold my breath. It's still tough, it's still tough to look at and to imagine and to weigh it all up and then to put it all together and be aware of what the most likely outcome is of a scenario like this. But we're not going to focus on that. Our job, your job, I'm asking you, I'm appealing to you. Each and every time you see a post with Dahi, with the calendar, with myself, with Martin, or whatever it else as it goes along and as it gains momentum, please share it. Please put it out there and help spread the word. <laughs> Hard to know where to dive into this part of the review and looking back. There's been that much said about the Usyk-Joshua rematch it's it's almost repeating itself. I became, I think, I think I got all edged out after Monday afternoon, maybe Tuesday. I was home a couple of hours from Dingle, which it's a beautiful part of the world. It's a long time since I've been in Kerry, and it felt like an awful long time since I'd had any sort of holiday. Indeed, it was post or previous, just a, just the year previous to lockdown. So yeah, it was a long time, and I was wasn't quite blessed with weather as we had been the previous week, where I had been on best man duties, but. It was just nice to get away for a few days and, and, and just relax, chill out and enjoy a wonderful part of the country. So special shout out to all those businesses and little traditional Irish cafes and restaurants and shops and supermarket out, souvenir outlets and just what old Ireland used to be like. It's what Courtown used to be like. It's what Tramore used to be like and not so many of the franchises, none of the franchises. And would you believe not, not so many bookie offices either that I noticed thankfully so look it was a lovely break and I got back just in time had a little bit of food feed up and I watched a fight on my own kept the texts and the social media to a minimum chatting of course to my mate Terry big shout out to Terry and of course to the pocket rocket across in Las Vegas Wayne McCullough shout out to the lads it was um, curious to see just some of the reliable and the informed opinions were thinking and saying in the run up to it I'm a big, big fan of Usyk. I'm a big admirer, not just of his skills, of his boxing, but how he carries himself in general. 
There's no frills, there's no entourage, there's no bullshit. He turns up, he entertains, he fights and he wins. Despite the fact that AJ and his setup and his team and, and his whole environment is the polar opposite, I've said it before and I'm going to make it very clear here now. I like Anthony Joshua. I like what he's done. I like a lot of what he does. Just not so keen on how he does it. Uh, what he's achieved in a relatively short time and a short-ish career in boxing terms, he has achieved a phenomenal amount, which has been done to death. Don't need to go back over all of that. But the side of Joshua that really boils my piss, for want of a better word, is how he separates himself from the fans and how he distances himself and, and creates that that barrier. And that's not to say, I'm not, not to say or not to ignore or not to be disrespectful of what he does for his community. I have no doubt that Anthony Joshua gives back a phenomenal amount. I've no doubt. I've seen how he's contributed to his, his former amateur club and the, he kits them out with bags and kits them out with all the training apparel and the equipment and the kit that he should and that they need. He hasn't forgotten he hasn't really forgotten where he's come from, but he has created a barrier, or has he created the barrier? He's surrounded, in my opinion, by a circle of sycophants. When you think he was five weeks in Saudi Arabia preparing for that fight, surrounded by a team of upwards of 40, possibly 50, there is, what is there for 50 fellas to do around one fighter? How can, Ant, how can Usyk come along with his coaches, maybe two or three, and of course, there's no doubt there is a team in the background, but that's where they belong. That's where they need to be. Possibly in Ukraine or possibly wherever the base camp was. They do not need to be front and centre. They do not need to be around the fighter fight week. They do not need to be tapping journalists and reporters and media people on the shoulder and saying, that's it, your three minutes are up, your three questions. These are people who, by and large, have no expertise in this boxing game. They have no knowledge. I understand Freddie Cunningham is a big part of his promotional team, he's a big part of his management team. I get that. I understand that Hearn is part of his promotion team, 100%. I understand Garcia, Fernandez. After that, what does he need? Why is KD in the background? Why is Benga hanging about the ring? Why are people like that? All these AJ t-shirts, where were they when they were needed? We can get to that bit in a few minutes. But remember, all those guys on the payroll for five weeks to be doing whatever they're doing because they're not training. There's not enough work for them to do for that length of time. So somebody somebody somewhere has to be asking the hard questions. Why are they being paid for? Why are they being enabled? Why are they being facilitated? But look, even even if you could overlook that for, for a moment, you would ask the question. These fellas are supposedly friends of Anthony Joshua's from the jump, from the day one, from where the time when he spent on the roads in Watford or on the corners and his his past life that he refers to himself recently that was in the past it was almost been sport washed out surely they're the ones who need to keep him grounded they're the ones who remind him come on Anthony you're you're one of the people you've come from the people you've come from a community you've come from an underprivileged background yes you became world champion very early in your career probably earlier than you would have imagined and yes you did beat Charles Martin who became world champion by virtue of a technical disqualification when his opponent destroyed his cruciate and medial ligaments and by virtue of that his fight his opponent not been able to carry on Charles Martin was crowned world champion and then of course he was paid five millions to come across the water and and lose to AJ 
probably not intentionally, but he was never, ever going to stand up to the intensity, the hype and the pressure that came with it. So from there on, surely these people could be reminding Anthony, hey, hey mate, listen, you got a touch here. We've got in early. We've we've done very well. Yes, you've beaten Vlad. We've, we've hit some quicksand, you know. Stop him from thinking that he's above anybody. Stop him from believing that he's better than anybody in the heavyweight rankings. He's not. Because as he sees right now, as you saw him make his way from the ring and the cold water almost like dripping down his back when he realised, shit, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of there. I'm, I'm not even number one in the UK rankings anymore. Would you back him to beat any of the heavyweights in the top heavyweights in the UK? Not so sure. Not so sure. But the truth is, this circle of sycophants, as I like to call them, they're the ones should be reminding him. They're the ones should be keeping him grounded, keeping his feet on the ground, if he needs it. If he needs it. They didn't. And he did. In episode number 195, our preview, Fuel or Fire, I looked at those external pressures and I asked, could they fuel and influence the effect of this fight? Or would they burn and absolutely destroy AJ and Anthony Joshua from within? Or Usyk, when you think everything he carried? I think it's very clear what the outcome was. But a little in the build-up, quite a lot of hype. A lot of it, far too much of it was about the contender, the challenger, who was Joshua himself this time. They seemed to believe, and in the in the 11 months in between the two fights, they seemed to allow themselves to believe that maybe he was hard done by. Maybe maybe it was close the first time around. going to jump in here and have a little bit of a listen to the build-up at the Wains. And then you're going to hear some pieces taken from an interview with the man who appeared to be for all intents and purposes the number one the head coach in the corner the night of the fight come from absolutely nowhere with little or no experience ousted Rob McCracken and then seemed to be the number one with Robert Garcia beside him and we all saw what happened and there's a lesson a harsh stark lesson to be learned ladies and gentlemen he is the challenger tomorrow night He's an Olympic gold medal champion, 26 fights, 24 victories, 22 of those 24 victories by knockout. The fighting pride of London, England, Anthony Joshua! 19 fights, 19 victories, 13 wins by knockout. The former undisputed cruiserweight world champion and currently the reigning and defending undefeated Unified heavyweight champion of the world, fighting for and representing the sovereign nation of Ukraine, Alexander Usyk. 110.9 kilos for the challenger. 100, 100.5 kilos for the reigning and defending champion. Here they are, face-to-face challenger and champion. The preparation it has been good. It has been tough. It has been challenging. Um, but all good. Fight week is here. Ready to go. And um, it's all down to um, to the big man. You know, to have uh, a man like Robert, you know, with, uh, with that man of experience in uh, world title fights. Um, for me, you know, up-and-coming coach, uh, be alongside this... Uh, these coaches, you know, in the past with um, Rob McCracken, uh, now with uh, Robert Garcia, it's only going to make me a better coach. The pressure has been on him since since the first day he won the gold medal. 
he 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 deals with kind of like pressure, you know, from a, from the public, from the media, from a, the pressure was more on myself and the team and uh, to aid it to pull the work uh, in what needs to be done. Myself and, and, and Garcia as coaches, you know, we bring in different approaches. It's not, it's not changing, it's just um, adding to his game. I'm bringing the old AG back. Anything jump out at you there? And it's maybe easy to look back in hindsight. But it's important, I believe. Me, I, I, me. All he talks about is me. He talks about the pressure is on him and the team. Maybe a little bit on AJ, but he first all the time. That's got to be earned. And I'm going to do an episode really soon with the legendary world champions, Wayne McCullough, Montel Griffin, talking about a legendary, the greatest ever boxing coach, in my opinion and in the opinion of many. The great Eddie Futch earned the right. He earned the right to speak like that and he never really did. It was his fighter first all the time. So why has a guy come from nowhere before the Ruiz rematch to being the number one in the corner, the most vocal, speaking about himself above all else? Crazy. Crazy, really. And it went a long way to explain what we saw. The fight, as it unfurled and and played out in front of our eyes, having heard so much in the build-up about the game plan, about the size and about the difference and about how AJ was going to be the bigger man. And you may remember back in episode number 195, the preview where I said about the hype was going to be about the size and it was going to be how AJ was going to be so much bigger and then he wasn't. As it transpired, they were in and about the same size. AJ did try to trim down a little bit regardless of what was said. Did adjust his game plan a little bit, perhaps. But when you look at the physique of the two fighters, Usyk, he's athletic. He's growing into the weight. His legs are balanced. His cardio is off the scale. And key to this and everything that he does, this fight and everything else, his style is his ring IQ. His boxing brain is absolutely incredible. Looking at the little things, there's a lot of people far more qualified than me, but the things that jump out at me straight away is the distance, how he gets across the gap. His lateral movement, his body movement, his head movement, he's never on the line. Look at his trailing leg. Everybody talks about southpaws, how it's important to get around that lead foot. Look at his trailing foot. Look at his back foot. It's like an antenna. As soon as it touches the ring, as soon as it touches the corner, as soon as it touches the rope, as soon as it touches the edge of the mat, he's gone. He's pivot, he's ducked, and he's out. Incredible stuff. He's straight left from the southpaw stance. Jimmy Halpin told me a long time ago, almost a year ago, as we were talking about the Olympics this time last year, how on a trip with Billy Walsh and Zorantia, they had spotted the Eastern style, the Uzbeks, the Kazakhs, and indeed the Ukrainian fighters, how they begin their launch, their offence, with that backhand. And it was done to perfection the other night. It was the one of the keys to the kingdom. And having listened to all of the hype and all of the bluster from the likes of Fernandez about how he's bringing the old AJ back. Mm, he did indeed, didn't he? Changed it a little bit. He guard, I suppose. He was down lower. He was crouched down lower. Probably a little bit harder to hit. Uh, he was a little bit more compact. But in his defensive style, his gloves were up high. It looked very amateurish. Could he see out through it? Only he can answer that. 
he sat down low as I said he tried to play that old trick that age old boxing trick up his work rate for the park part of each fight it's a fair point to make and he he made it wrong but it was the proper point there was some merit in what he was trying to say he is a huge fighter as far as heavyweights go he's bigger modern heavyweights are bigger than most of the old heavyweights ever were but that's not an excuse think about it like this if you're one of two men who stand to split a pot of in and around a hundred million pounds sterling there or thereabouts you come to camp fit you get there with your cardio on point you get there with a lot of the hard work done and be ready for the game plan to be implemented and to learn the game plan. Whatever way the coach or the coaches decide that's to be done, you do that. And that's what Usyk appears to do. He came from war. People said he was going to be underweight, overweight, he was going to be in and around weight, he was going to be everything bar what he needed to be and this was going to be a fight for Joshua. Give him a little bit of props. He did alter his game plan. Did he do it enough? You tell me. Is side to side still peppering him with left hands. After in the seventh round was crucial for Usyk because it broke the the change in direction of the, of the way the fight was going. Maybe it's low, but was it borderline? AJ needs to repose himself now. He's the go for it. Really tried these shots in. That's what he's doing. The iconic boxing figure of Alexander Usyk, who has that Usyk foundation and will be returning to his homeland. The comes we'll get to a little bit. I'm not going to go too much into because, again, it's all opinion. It's been done to death. But I want to touch again on the build-up and the coaching scenarios. We heard too much about somebody like Angel Fernandez, who, with all due respect, hasn't earned it. Robert Garcia, without a doubt, has earned it with fighters like Mikey Garcia and people like that. Tough, hard, who will go to the bottom of the well when they need to and can. They've got a chin, they've got a resistance They've got a, a reserve that they can call on and could call on when they needed to. Rob McCracken had done it in the past with a fighter like Carl Froch who had similar reserves, who had a granite chin, who could call on reserves, absolutely empty the tank and the spare tank when he needed to. We never heard a word in the build-up to this fight about the coaching team behind Alexander Usyk. To the point where when I went looking afterwards out to see who was the coach, I didn't know whether it was Sergio Lapin. I didn't know whether it was Anatoly Lomachenko. It was indeed Yuri Ivanovich. And if you pull back the layers just a little bit, if you care enough, you will also figure out and know that Ali Bashir, he's a former Kronk fighter who spent many, many years at the right hand of the late great Emmanuel Stewart. When you put all of that into the mix alongside a natural-born boxer with a talent, a cyborg-like mentality of Alexander Usyk, it's easy to see why maybe one side of the promotion outfit didn't go into too much detail when it came to the teams. Maybe, maybe somebody somewhere with a boxing knowledge and a boxing brain and some boxing background, perhaps they spotted and thought it wise maybe to, to just keep that little bit under the carpet. But it was all exposed, it all came out and very early in the fight it came all too aware that the changes may have been made back room and everything else, but nothing really had changed. Rob McCracken was changed for Rob Garcia. Angel Fernandez was still very vocal and they were still howling for their meal. 
all they could hear was, you're doing well, champ, you're doing great, you're winning your head. Nonsense. Utter BS. And the comms, as it started, as usual, Joshua heavy. By the end, it was almost, I almost actually felt sorry for Joshua. They were almost turned against him. And what you realise now is, his contract with Sky is done. He moves along to the zone where he's a shareholder. So, maybe, maybe the agendas were becoming just that little bit more clear as well as the veil was pulled back. Here we go. Don't think I need to reiterate the fact that I'm not hating on Anthony Joshua here. I couldn't but feel a little sorry for him as the week played on. He was completely exposed. He was completely left floundering. And he was completely left on his own when he needed help the most. The flaws were exposed even greater that we saw way back in that fifth fight when Dillian White showed the world there is a little chink to this armour. Nobody really wanted to believe it. It was covered up really well until it wasn't. And then Andy Ruiz in both fights, even though he did win the rematch and he'd won it boxing to plan, what was a crack then has been exposed into a chasm, a canyon. And despite his band of not-so-merry men, not one of them, not one single one would put a hand on his shoulder and pull him back into line. Try to compose him. Take their time. Delay getting the gloves off. Slow down opening the laces or cutting them. Do whatever it takes. Throw a cold towel over his head. Throw a bucket of water over him. Something just to try and bring his senses back. Because to be fair to him, he was bamboozled. He was bamboozled. Disregard the scorecards. Completely disregard them. If you're a fight fan and you know anything or you're a fight, you want to be a fight fan and you want to learn, listen to people that know. That fight wasn't close. I'm not going to get into the scoring of it. I didn't score it, and I haven't looked back at it a second time yet. A third time, should I say. But I do know, looking back at my notes, looking back at my tweets, after seven rounds, I had it 6-1. And what about the post-fight farce? The carnival? The circus? No excuse for what was said or what was done. But where were all those bright, sparkly, brand new, paid-for Anthony Joshua boxing t-shirts? Where were they? And still the unified heavyweight champion of the world from Ukraine. Kalamata, yes. One hell of a f***ing fire, man. Let's give him a round of applause. Oh, man. So that's just emotion. Wait, wait, I'm talking. If you knew my story, you would understand the passion. I ain't no amateur boxer from five years old. That was an elite prospect from a youth, bro. I was going to jail. I see some hype little youths in red in jail. I got bail and I started training. Because if I got sentenced, I wanted to be able to fight. I'm stealing this music, sorry. But it's because the passion we put into this, man. Guys, I'm telling you, this guy to be me tonight, maybe I could have done better. But it shows the levels of hard work he must have put in. So please give him a round of applause as our heavyweight champion of the world. Woo! I'm not a 12-round fighter. Look at me. I'm a new breed of heavyweights. All them heavyweights, Mike Tyson, Sonny Liston, Jack Dempsey. Oh, yeah, you don't throw combinations like Rocky Marciano. Because I ain't 14 stone, that's why. I'm 18 stone, I'm heavy. It's hard work. This guy here is a phenomenal talent. We're going to cheer for him three times. <laughs> the empath in me can can almost hear his heart cracking, fracturing, breaking. But the real part of me thinks, shut up, get off the mic. Maybe even get out of the ring. 
at least have the dignity and the decency to wait until you're asked to speak, if need be. A man you've just had of two fights with, 24 rounds, in between which he's been to war. He's representing something far greater than you, your <laughs> circle of sycophants, your past, your present and your future. I ask a question to you, the listener. If England, the UK, found themselves in yet another war tomorrow, would we see Anthony Joshua go to war for the UK, for England? I don't believe so. Would you do it? I know I wouldn't do it. I'd find it very hard to leave everything that I have and hold dear to take up arms in a battle in some foreign country or in wherever and put it all on the line in a far greater display of courage, guts, determination and love for something that's, for the most part, almost intangible. It's not about watches, cars, entourages or money or anything else. It's not even about goddamn belts. It's about reality. Something that that circle of sycophants has absolutely got no clue about. So I made it my business to avoid social media as much as possible all week. I had one little troll, one little horrible faceless urchin who did try to worm his way into my comments and into my Instagram. But um, for the very first time ever, I dealt with it in a way that that sort need to be dealt with. Faceless will remain nameless. No followers, no, nothing of any significance decided to make some disgusting, filthy comments. Dealt with. See you later, son. To wrap it up, I suppose, as best I can, the circle of sycophants, I thought, perhaps could be put in place. Maybe, as all this was unfolding, I would have thought the main man, the promoter, the man who brought it to Saudi Arabia, the man who has led us all on a dance. And let's let's not forget, this has been a dance of sorts for the last five, six, maybe ten years, the duration of this Joshua career. Don't know where it goes now. It's not over unless he wants it to be over. There's lots and lots of big fights out there for Anthony Joshua, but does he want to start again? Does he want to clear out those sycophants? Does he want to get rid? Is he able to get rid? That's the big question. Then the next question is, where's the coach going to be? Can it be in the UK? I don't think so. I think he needs to get away from his comfort zone. I think he needs to do what our very own Katie Taylor has done. And a conversation with Darren O'Neill earlier on in the week, and a shout out to Darren O'Neill, hope you're doing well, my man, reminded me of how he, Willie McLaughlin, Ken Egan, and all those guys back in the day, long before boxing became so sexy and so cool, and something that so many wanted to at least try to tell you they cared about. Shared camps with Usyk, shared camps with Deryachenko, shared camps with Golovkin and those killers born to box, knew nothing else and did nothing else to box. And Darren O'Neill's story about watching a guy in a ring and getting in with him and didn't understand and couldn't figure out what's the big deal until he waited three rounds to find that one shot, sweet spot, right under his elbow and they'll come out clean and Darren O'Neill did what all good champions did. Darren O'Neill got back in the ring every single day with Usyk. Back in the day before anybody ever knew who he was. That's how good this guy is. So what do you do to combat somebody like that? You could avoid him. Which Rob McCracken did say. There were three fights. Early in his career. He believed Anthony Joshua needed to avoid. Stay away from. Didn't need any part of. One was Deontay Wilder, one was Alexander Usyk, and I believe the other one was the Cuban Kong. 
Luis Ortiz. You can throw Tyson Fury into that mix now. And don't forget how, again, Hearn, Matram and Frank and all those little guys running around with Eddie, how they insulted all the other up-and-coming fighters in that heavyweight division. And they made them wait and they made little of them and they almost insulted them with their offers. Team Wilder came with a 50-50 split and a share of pay-per-view points. A fight in Vegas. Possibly two. They laughed it off. They offered, I think at one stage, Tyson Fury a 30% split. So, don't be surprised if, if these guys jump down the throat of Team Joshua the very first opportunity to get. Don't be surprised. It's been coming. And I think it's going to get an awful lot worse. I expected Eddie to try and sweep this up as soon as possible after the shit show in the ring. But that didn't happen. He's given his whole life since he started to the sport of boxing. And people don't realise that what a bubble it is in the life and world of Anthony Joshua. He's in the gym all the time with his team. He's, he's living up in Loughborough. He's away from home. And sometimes people don't understand the pressures that are on people's shoulders. He's been an amazing ambassador. For the first time in boxing, you see all these complete dickheads, many of them tonight on social media, they've got too much to say for themselves, that want to pretend they're good people, that actually aren't role models, that aren't ambassadors, that aren't people that I would want my kids to look up to. This is someone that I want my kids to look up to. I've been watching boxing a long, long time. And since I've started this podcast journey, I've been very mindful and I'm always respectful of other people's opinions. I understand that there are different levels to everything, whether it's your daily job on a building site in the army, serving food in a fast food shop or at the very top level of business. Everybody has a different level of what they do and how they do it. I'm also cognizant of the level that these athletes operate at on a daily basis and the pressures that do come with that. But you've got to remember, they look for those pressures. They choose those pressures. And if there are particular areas that they're not well enough or able or capable to deal with, well then they've got to find someone that can help them do that. And when that circle of sycophants failed to deal with anything and failed to help him in that moment, the very moment that he needed them help most from the last 10 years, nobody, nobody stepped up. Even his dad couldn't couldn't talk him down. Surely that was where Eddie Hearn needed to step in. Instead of, instead of having a go at people who have merely just been waiting for their opportunity. Because this has been created from day one with the stupid hashtags, the stupid taglines and all of the quotes and phrases that do not match what we see in Anthony Joshua. What he says has very rarely ever, if ever, matched what he does. And I believe Eddie Hearn has played a big part creating this Anthony Joshua myth telling the fans the Sky Sports the casual fans that he is a throwback fighter he's not that he's a multi-dimensional fighter he's not that he's a hardened underworld tough guy who turned his life around from the very brink of if not a life in prison maybe worse he didn't and it's very questionable also if he ever was a rough tough road bully because he certainly doesn't act like it when it's put up to him. He certainly didn't act it with Dominic Brazil. He didn't act it with Dillian White. And he sure as shit didn't act it with Alexander Usyk, number one or two. And it's very easy to forget, while Eddie is out there labelling everybody dickheads and trolls and everything else that he chooses to say, 
But don't forget he also had the phrases stay humble, road to the undisputed, be real, respect. Two of the most respected traditions in the cultures of the Saudi Arabians and Africa, where Anthony Joshua has told us he represents. Bad language, it's a criminal offence in Saudi Arabia. And to treat his father or a parent in the way he did after the fight, hugely frowned on by the traditions of the African people. And I know this from listening and from, from learning to educated people like Terry on Beyond Boxing and like so many other of the informed, educated, proper boxing outlets, media platforms that so often get shunned because they don't toe the party line, because they don't howl for their meal. And they don't necessarily hate either. They just call things as they see it and they put it into perspective as against a backdrop of a lifetime experience, not just watching the sport, but being involved being in there in camps with the likes of David Hay at the very top level. And don't think for a moment that I'm being unfair or say to yourself, oh, come on, Al, seriously, like he's just had a 12-round fight, he may be concussed and all that. I get it. I get that. 100% get that. But my point here is the mask slipped. The point that I'm trying to make here is that the jigsaw Joshua that we've looked at over the last 10 years, which has been carefully put together by Mr. Eddie Hearn, fell apart, cracked and broken pieces on Saturday night. And that's when we see the real man. And you know something? I don't think he would be that hard a fella to follow in his true form. I think people could relate to him a lot more. They could say, yeah, there's Femi, the guy we know. That's the guy that grew up on the street. We know him. He doesn't have to be this corporate conglomerate mongol that just attracts the likes of Land Rover and all of the other big brands that he chooses to wear. Just be who you are. And just before we wrap it all up, you are, of course, entitled to your own opinions. You are, of course, entitled to say, Al, oh, you're not right here. You're, you're, you're going a bit too far. Let me know, by all means, please. And I will absolutely hold my hand if I believe I've been... I've purposely taken a week to put this together, to let the dust settle, to let it all calm down, to see where this goes. And, and again, there's fallacies starting to show through here. The WBC came out on the early in the week, if not Monday, maybe Tuesday, and said that Tyson Fury had until Friday to inform them of his next defence. Tyson Fury said that he was in negotiations with Alexander Usyk to make the fight for the unification. And lo and behold, on Friday, the WBC extended for a week because of a family tragedy for Tyson Fury. In its essence, and in its purest form, congratulations. Well done. Respect. And absolute respect and, and deepest sympathies to whichever of the family members or whatever it was that happened. I'm not aware of it. But the point here is, again, the very same double standards that allowed Glenn Feldman get away with a scorecard the way he did. And not alone did he do that. He hadn't even got the minerals, the stones, to stand over it and comment straight after the fight. So how did you find seven rounds in the fight? Just wondering if you could explain how you saw seven rounds I, in the fight. I can't. You'd have to talk to my, my supervisor. Uh, I saw it as a very close fight. You understand that boxing is scored round by round, not by the fight as a whole. And those rounds were razor close. And it depends on your perspective, how you evaluated the impact and the effectiveness of the punch you know they scored it as they saw it i mean i think it was i think it was smart of anthony to come out and try to rough up uh music he tried to establish his strength and his height and his reach i think that was very good training and and a very good strategy music has exceptional stamina and he was able to 
have a little more energy in the, the last three rounds. Well, I can't score it because I'm, I'm doing other things at ringside. I was happy with how all three of the judges scored the fight. I think it was a fair score. Uh, it's a type of fight that just based on which side of the ring you sit on, you see a different fight. And that voice you just heard is not Glenn Feldman. It's a guy who is standing about a foot and a half to his right. He is, I believe, a spokesman or a supervisor for one of the governing bodies. He is the one who spoke on behalf of Glenn Feldman because Glenn Feldman said he's not allowed to speak. That's the way it was. And you could talk then again about the referee, Louis Pabon, and the way the fight went, the way Joshua was holding the back of Usyk's head, uppercutting him as he did so. You could talk about the low blows. You could talk about a lot of the different stuff that went on. The bottom line is, that night, the fight, the outcome and the result was about one man and what he stood for. When we spoke about fuel or fire, which was it going to be? How was it going to affect him going into the fight? If you weren't impressed with him during the fight, before the fight, during the last fight and during his career, you surely got to be even more impressed with him and how he's handled himself in the face of all of this carry-on, this, this playground mentality since the fight. He could have gone, he could have tore the flag off Joshua. He could have ripped the microphone out of his hand. He could have used that band of fellas that were standing behind him. Who, let's be honest about it, have come from war. They've faced far bigger, scarier threats than AJ and his shiny new t-shirt wearing circle of sycophants, as I keep calling them. They could have dealt with those in a heartbeat. But no, Usi gave the nod. He gave the command to step back, let AJ talk. And then he did what Alexander Usyk does. My final point before I go into the finish. On Saturday the 20th, Britain's biggest boxing star, Anthony Joshua, had the fight of his life, the fight for his career, on the line. And just that same night, running into that late that morning, Sunday the 21st, Leon Edwards fought for a world title in the UFC. And it was very much a do-or-die scenario for him also, having lost to Usman a couple of years ago. It was a crossroads for his career. I'm going to let you have a little bit of a listen and you decide. I'm not going to I'm not going to comment one way or the other, but you decide the difference. And you decide if you've come back to a corner for a minute's break in between rounds where you're getting your head scrambled, your senses are all over the place, and you need somebody to give you honest but reliable information. You tell me which is the most valuable and which is the one that can help you navigate those choppy waters when you help when you need help the most. Come on, son. Being the boss here. Come on, Leon. Be the boss. Okay. Come on, we're gonna pull back one now. It's one more. Come on, come on. Come on, Leon. Feet as well. When you're shouting feet, don't stand still. Leon, we need nice Get your legs moving. Come on. Don't make him bully you, Leon. Don't let him bully you, son. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Listen. Listen. You gotta get. Angry now, Leon. You're too down. Come on, come on. You're letting him control you too much, son. You gotta get your hands going, Leon. You gotta get your hands Look going. Closer. Come on. Look for your clinch, Leon. Look for your clinch. Listen, stop feeling sorry for your oh. Well, come on then. What's wrong with you? You're too down. You gotta pull the out of the fire. Stay short. Come on, Leon, man. You got it, man. Come on. You got this. Sharp shoot on the pressure, yeah? Come on, Leon! Let's go! Come on! And the final roar at the end is, in case you haven't seen or in case you don't follow UFC, Leon Osman having taken all that information, all those directions on board and delivered an, an absolutely knockout kick. 
ending an incredible 15-fight winning record to win his welterweight world title. Even if you're the biggest Anthony Joshua fan on this planet, if you love him the most, admire him the most, and even if you believe everything he says and does is right, at no point in that fight was Anthony Joshua 3-0 up, ever. And what needs to be decided now, and acted on very, very quickly before it's too late, is what sort of team does any man want in his corner when the fat is in the fire? The points I take after 24 rounds of world title boxing between Usyk and Joshua, everything taken into consideration and everything that I've come to know about these two top-class, world-class, elite-level fighters, Usyk's talents are, are superb. They're almost God-given. But they are not yet proven at the very top of the heavyweight division and won't be until he faces the likes of Wilder, until he faces the likes of Fury or any of the other top five or top ten contenders. What we see with Usyk is what we get. I don't doubt for a moment that if Fury wants to fight, then we will see at least one fight between Usyk and Fury. How will that fight go? I don't know. Bear in mind, I'm a big, big fan of Tyson Fury. I'm a big admirer of Tyson Fury, how he fights and his whole skill set and his ty- and his, his style. But I also remember the difficulty that Tyson Fury had with a less talented and almost over the hill Steve Cunningham. Alexander Usyk is a far different proposition. But those thoughts will keep for another episode on another day. There's a lot of people writing Joshua off, saying that there's nothing left for him to do, there's nobody left for him to fight, he's been exposed. Yes, the road back may well be a long one. There's a lot of soul searching to do, a lot of decisions to be made. He is still one of, if not the biggest money man in the division. So there's plenty of fights domestically to build his way back up, whether it's against a Dillian White, whether it's against another Joseph Parker, whether it's against a Martin McCauley, whether he faces the likes of Daniel Dubois, or better again, Joe Joyce. What he does need to do is radically change his trainers, radically change that whole shit show and that circle of sycophants one by one need to be weeded out. Coach, camp, team, style, all of that needs to be just completely dismantled. He needs to look inside himself, see has he got the hunger, see has he got the the minerals still to become that early fighter that we saw, that early potential. And then, really then look properly for a coach that he can settle down, knuckle down, get to work the man that springs to my mind, and I, I don't think, I don't know what it ever happened, but somebody along the lines of Peter Fury. He wanted to go across the pond, Ronnie Shields, or maybe even a Teddy Atlas. All of those points we can look at at a later date on a later episode. For now, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. If I could be so bold as to ask, please take another couple of seconds of your of your precious time. Tip along over to the links below in the episode notes. 
follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case may be. And don't be shy. Let me know what you think. Let me know some of the answers, questions that are asked. And most importantly, please, please, please get behind the campaign. Donate for Dahi. Put our shoulder to the wheel. Thank you again. Episode 196 as we creep closer towards that big 200. A very, very special episode that will be indeed. That's it for me and them until then. As we count the days down at the end of August and start looking towards those short evenings, dark mornings and back to school. No matter what else comes or goes over the next couple of days, stay safe, stay sane and smile. All's well that ends well. <laughs>